Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey, take your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 16. I'm starting a new sermon series today entitled Legends, My Story Needs Their Story. By the way, if you open up your Peavine City app, and if you don't have that, even if you're a guest, download that. Go to the Google Store or Apple Store and just type in Peavine City. It'll pop up. If you'll download that, that's how you keep up with all things Peavine. You can watch sermons, listen to sermons, get all the latest information, uh, give. Uh, but if you go down to the bottom and look at mobile wallpapers, there is a new invite card that'll only be around for four weeks that has this sermon series on there. And so I'm going to talk, let me tell you what the legends is about. And by the way, so you download that photo and you can text it to people or Facebook it or, or message it or whatever you want to do to get it out there and uh, uh, invite people to be at uh, church with you. The theory, the story behind legends is this. There are these stories in the Bible that are legendary stories. And we know these stories, like, like, like not, you just don't know them. People who don't go to church know these stories. They've heard of David and Goliath. They've heard of Jonah and the whale. They've heard of all these stories. Like today, I'm going to talk about Samson and Delilah. But here's the deal. We kind of put them in this category of legends. Not that we don't believe they're true. Of course they're true. We believe they're true, but we just don't. We, we know the characters, but we don't know the, the um, impetus behind them. We don't know the principles and the lessons God is trying to teach us from these stories, these legendary stories. And here's the truth. God gave us these stories so they could impact our lives. We need, my story needs their story. Their story is going to help me live for God better than I could without their story. Because a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times these guys messed up big and uh, it's better to let them make a mistake for me instead of me making a mistake with them, right? And so, so that's why we have these stories. Then these stories are, late, they're, they're outside church world. For example, you go out of the church world and they know the lost world knows these stories. Like even today, Samson and Delilah. How many of you have ever heard a non-Christian song about Samson and Delilah? You ever heard that? Was it the Pointer Sisters about 1978? Uh, uh, that sang that song, was it called Fire? Romeo and Juliet? You remember, anybody remember that song? You remember? Romeo and Juliet. You remember that? <laughs> Samson and Delilah. I sing that chorus because when we kiss, ooh, fire. You know, remember that? Y'all remember that? If you don't tell me you remember it, I'll sing the whole song now. I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah, they remember it. Yeah, they, they remember it well. No need to that. But you hear David and Goliath works his way into secular. So we're going to look at these and find out what God wants to know. And by the way, these stories have so much more sermons in them than one. I'm just hitting the highlights as we go through it. Today, I want to preach on this subject, get out of your way. Get out of your way. Look in Judges 16, and then we'll stand later on. Let me tell you a story first. If you hear this phrase, faster than a locomotive, more powerful than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, it's a bird, no, it's a plane, no, it's... Superman. Superman, who was 
a visitor from another planet that had all these supernatural strength and supernatural powers. He was Clark Kent by day, a mild-mannered reporter that worked for the Daily Planet. And then he, he became Superman who fought for true justice in the American way. There have been a lot of Supermans throughout uh, television and movie history. One of the more famous one that was before my time, but I knew of him, was a man named George Reeves. George Reeves was one of the first Supermans in television. As a matter of fact, he played Superman in the 1950s. He became famous for wearing this Superman outfit. So much so that George Reeves, back in the day, would go to a car dealership opening, get paid for it, and show up in a Superman outfit. Or he'd go out in public in a Superman outfit. And every time he did, kids and adults would come up and kick him in the shin. Adults would come up and with their fist, punch him in the chest and punch him in the back. They were not being mean, but after all, he's supposed to be a man of steel, right? And they very affectionately were trying to see if they could hurt what they believed to be the real Superman. So much so that in 1953, George Reeves wore his Superman uh, costume to a department store opening. And while he was there, a young boy took his father's army-issued Colt 45 fully loaded and pointed it at George Reeves' chest. Because bullets are supposed to bounce off Superman. And so the little boy was gonna pull the trigger and tell his friends he shot Superman and the bullets bounced off. And George Reeves, to his credit, didn't even break character. I'd have been like, no kid, I'm not Superman. He didn't do it. He said, young man, it's true that bullets will bounce off me, but... You and your mom and a lot of innocent people are in this story. And when that bullet starts bouncing, it could hurt a lot of people. So let's not do that in here. And he talked the young man into putting the gun down. Now, the truth is, if George Reeves had shown up in shorts and a Hawaiian shirt, nobody would have done that. If George Reeves had shown up in a three-piece suit, no one would have punched him, kicked him, or tried to shoot him. The reason that always happened to George Reeves was he showed up in places in the suit. It was the Superman suit that set him apart. It was the Superman suit that stood for truth, justice in the American way. It was the Superman suit that struck fear in the heart of evildoers. It was the Superman suit that caused the downtrodden to be uplifted. It was the suit that set Superman apart. They didn't recognize George Reeves. They recognized the suit. It was the suit that made him Superman. A few thousand years ago, there was a real Superman who was very recognizable. He was a man with superhuman strength and he was born in a little town called Zora. And this guy named Samson did not have a cape. He did not have a suit, but he did have a distinguishing mark that would have caused kids to kick him in the shin and adults to punch him in the chest. Samson had this incredibly long head of hair. Why did he have long hair? He had taken from his uh, birth up, he had been declared a Nazarite and he, did, he had taken a Nazarite vow before the Lord. There were three main components of a Nazarite vow. One, you could drink nothing from the vine. It represented you shunning the blessings of God, that you would suffer for God. He was never to touch a dead body because a dead body represented sin because sin had called death in the world. He was not to touch sin. And third, he was never to cut his hair. His long hair was a sign to the world that he was willing to suffer shame for God and the long hair was the source of his strength. 
It told the world that he had taken this Nazarite vow and it was his long hair that gave him this superhuman strength. But the problem with Samson was he had this Nazarite vow he had taken before God. He had this long recognizable hair that made him feel like Superman in the day. And he had this superhuman ability. A man who was favored by God, but a man who couldn't get out of his own way. A man who was the super Christian of the Christian life. A man who was the strongest man in the world that by the end of the story, he's the weakest man in the world all because he couldn't get out of his own way. Now, before we pile on Superman in the sermon, can I tell you this, that how many times have you been your worst problem? It's happened to me that I've been, like there have been plenty of times in my life that I wanted to blame it on the devil and the devil did it to me. There have been times in my life I wanted to blame it on the friends and my friends did it to me. There have been times in your life when you wanted to blame it on the Democrats and then they were gonna blame it on Trump after that. I mean, there have been plenty of times in your life where you wanted somebody to blame it on. But in reality, you are your own problem. And Samson was his own problem. Samson was the guy who could not get out of his way and it cost him dearly in the end. So today I want to learn some principles from Samson's story so they can help us with our story, walk with God. Would you stand with me as we read Judges chapter 16, beginning verse number four. Judges, the seventh book in the Old Testament, seventh book from the front. It's going to be on the screen, so uh, you can look right up here if you, it'd be easier for you. Judges chapter 16. Look with me, beginning verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the Sorek Valley. The Philistine leaders went to her and said, persuade him to tell you where his great strength comes from so we can overpower him, tie him up, and make him helpless. Each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me, where does your great strength come from? How could someone tie you up and make you helpless? Samson told her, if they tie me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have never been dried, I'll become weak and be like any other man. The listening leaders brought her seven fresh bowstrings that did not, had not been dried. She tied him up with them. While the, while the men in ambush were waiting in a room, she called out to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. But he snapped the bowstrings as a strand of yarn snaps when it touches fire. The secret of his strength remained unknown. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have mocked me and told me lies. Won't you please tell me how you can be tied up? He told her, if they tie me up with new robes that had never been used, I'll become weak and be like any other man. Delilah took new robes, tied him up with them and shouted, Samson, the Philistines are here. But while the men in ambush were waiting in a room, he snapped the ropes off like his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have mocked me all along and told me lies. Tell me how you can be tied up. At this point, I'd be curious as why this girl's want to tie me up so much. Maybe there's an alternate plan going on I don't know about. He told her, if you weave the seven braids on my head into the fabric on a loom, she fastened the braids with a pen and called to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. He awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pen with the loom and the web. How can you say I love you, she told him, when your heart is not with me? This is the third time you have mocked me and not told me what makes your strength so great. Verse 16. Because she nagged him day after day. It's the word of God, people. Is there in black and white. And <laughs> deny it if you want to, but there it is. Josh, let's sing just as I am. No, no, no. Uh, 
and pleaded with him until she wore him out. I love that. He told her the whole truth and said to her, my hair has never been cut because I'm a Nazarite to God from my birth. If I'm shaved, my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah realized that he had told her the whole truth, she sent this message to the Philistine leaders. Come one more time for he has told me the whole truth. The Philistine leaders came to her and brought the silver with them. Then she let him fall asleep on her lap and called a man to shave off the seven braids on his head. And this way she made him helpless and his strength left him. Then she cried, Samson, the Philistines are here. And when he woke from his sleep, he said, I will escape as I did before and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. Now listen, we're not gonna read the rest of the story. But he told his strength, they captured him. They put him in prison. They gouged out his eyes. In the end, he lost his life because he couldn't get out of his own way. Thank you. You may be seated. So by now, you know the story. We've read it. Samson is a Nazarite. Uh, a guy's taking a Nazarite valley, supernatural strength. Now, when I say supernatural strength, guys, we're talking, about, we're talking about strength. He's not a big man, just supernatural strength. He killed a lion with his bare hands. At one time, it was him versus 30 men, and Samson killed all 30 men. Another time, Samson took the jawbone of a donkey and killed a 1,000 men with it. He, he judged Israel for 20 years. Then that whole time, God wrought victories through him. And Samson was really the, the Superman of the day. But then he met a girl named Delilah. And her people enticed her to seduce Samson and discover the source of the strength. And daily she pleaded with him. And finally she got him to give in. The Bible says she wore him out. And they came and captured him. And eventually Samson's troubles cost him everything. Because Samson was his own worst enemy. So what I want to do today is I want to point out six principles that maybe when, if we learn these, if we understand what happened to Samson, we can stop being our own worst enemy in life. Let me give you six things. I'm going to hit some of them very quickly. Number one, I want you to know this. Mistakes pile up. Mistakes pile up. What do you mean by that, preacher? Samson was one of those guys that was just a comedy of errors his whole life. We started off in chapter 16, but a story is being told before that. He was a man that was always with the wrong person. He was a man that was always running his mouth. He was always in the wrong place. He was always in the wrong situation. He was always fulfilling his appetites the way he shouldn't fulfill them. He never put God first in his life. So he did all the wrong things, ran with all the wrong people, put himself in all the wrong places, never put God where he ought to put God, and eventually it caught up with him. Samson made mistake after mistake after mistake, bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, and eventually those mistakes piled up, eventually those bad decisions piled up, and eventually those bad decisions and mistakes ruined his life. Now listen to me, mistakes have a way of piling up and catching up with us eventually. Let's not pile on Samson this, mor this morning because his story sounds a lot like our story because there are some of you here today and you're doing the same thing in your life. You're letting your mistakes pile up and bad decisions pile up and instead of getting forgiveness and instead of changing your ways and instead of turning around you let that pile get big enough and eventually you're going to find yourself in a mess 
You can't keep making mistake over and over again, bad decisions over and over again, then I catch up with you. Listen to me. You want to tell you what Samson's biggest problem was? Samson let his life get off center from God. Here's a man who's taking a Nazarite vow. He is supposed to have God in the very center of his life. He's supposed to have God's relationship in the very middle of his life. And here's what Samson's done. Samson's got off just a little bit. And because Samson's got off a little bit, here's what's happened. Everything he does is wrong. Every decision he makes is the wrong one. Why? Because he doesn't have God where he ought to have him in the center of his life. And listen to me, if you get off in your life and you get more concerned about you than God, you get more concerned about your appetites than living for God, I'm going to tell you, you're going to get off center and every decision in your life will wind up being a bad decision. How many of you took, uh, 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 how many of you know how to type, like really type, not two fingers? Let me see your hand. You know how to type? You know how to type? Yeah. How many of you took typing like in high school or somewhere, maybe speaking something? Yeah, you took typing. I took typing in middle school. We called it junior high back then. I took high school uh, typing in middle school. It was acquired. And then high school, I signed up for typing uh, uh, early on in high school. I, it may have been my freshman year. I don't remember. Maybe sophomore. You say, why'd you sign up for typing? Because I was so smart. I saw computers coming. No, man, that's where the chicks were. And I signed up for typing because all the girls were in typing, you know, because I thought I hadn't met Sherry then. I thought I'll, I'll meet a girl in um, in typing, so I took home ec. I thought I'll, I'll take uh, typing in home ec because that's where all the girls are. And uh, here was my thinking, you know, because every girl wants a guy that can type, you know what I'm saying? And so I, I signed up for typing. I was good at it. I was good at it. You know, you, you go in there and they teach you where to, where to put your fingers and you got to put your fingers, you know, exactly where they do, ASDF and all, all that. And anybody ever tried to type and before you, you were typing away, you're not looking at the screen because that's how us good people do it. You know, we type and don't look. You ever done that and looked up and you were one key off when you were typing? You ever done that? If you have, here, here's, here's, a, here's what it looks like. You're not going to know this, but this week, this is a love letter that I typed to Sherry. It, it literally is. And uh, I did it and I had my fingers one key off on the keyboard. I was just one key off center. And I am typing something right here. And, and it's spell check is correct in some of the words, but it's the wrong words still. They don't make them the right words. As a matter of fact, this is nothing but gibberish the way you see it. However, I do want Sherry to know that it was the greatest love letter ever written to a woman in the history of man. Like Shakespeare called me and Shakespeare's like, hey, I'd publish that if I were you, but just I'm humble enough, I don't want to do that. And so I typed this love letter to Sherry and it, it literally is a love letter to her. I sit down and said, dear Sherry, I love you. And all that stuff's typed out right there, but you know what? You read that and you don't know what it says. You know why? Because I was off center by one key. And just because I was off center by one key, listen, every letter I typed was the wrong letter. And the mistakes piled up. Can I tell you what Samson did in his life? Samson got off center by one. He got God in the wrong place. He put himself in the center of his life. And because he did it, the mistakes piled up. And I want to tell you, you can do that as well. You can get your life away from God. You can get your eyes on yourself. You can get your focus on your own appetites. And here's what's going to happen. You just get off center a little bit, man. And you're going to get God not where he ought to be and get you where you ought to be. And all of a sudden, every decision you make is a bad one. Every Everything you do is mistaken. 
If you don't interrupt that pattern and get right with God and say, God, I need you back in the center of life. Listen to me. Every decision you make from this point forward in all probability is going to be a bad decision. And those mistakes pile up. And one of these days, you're going to find yourself in a mess. And you're going to say, God, I don't know how I got here. And God's going to say, yes, you do. You got me out of the center of your life a long time ago. And your mistakes have piled up. And eventually, you'll bury yourself under your mistakes. Second thing we learn from Samson is this. When you are where you shouldn't be, you'll do things you shouldn't do. Now listen, the Bible says he was with a woman named Delilah. She was a Philistine woman. She, Samson was not even supposed to be around Philistine women. He's supposed to be with Israelite women, but he was hanging out with a Philistine woman. And he was in the Sorek Valley, which was a territory ran by the Philistines. So here's the short of the story. He's with a woman he shouldn't be with in a place he shouldn't be. Get this. And the bottom line, it cost him. He was with a woman he shouldn't be with in a place he shouldn't be. And in the bottom line, it cost him. Can I tell you this? This is not rocket surgery, but listen to me this morning. If you are in the wrong place with the wrong people, you'll wind up doing the wrong things. Teenagers, hear me. If you're in the wrong place with the wrong people, you'll wind up doing the wrong things. I know it's simple, but listen, here's what we think. We think we are stronger than what we really are. Can I let you in on a secret? You're not as good a Christian as you think you are. You're not as strong in the Christian life as what you think you are. And when you put yourself in the wrong place with the wrong people, can I tell you trouble's gonna come? I know what you think of times you think, well, preacher, I need to be a witness to them. I get it, you do. But you'll never be a good witness when, when you're the, in the minority, when you're surrounded by the wrong people, when you're in the wrong place, you wanna be a good witness. You get them over in your territory. You get them around your kind of people. You'll be a better witness by, for, uh, by tenfold than you will be going over there because when you're in the wrong place with the wrong people, you're, all, you're almost always, always gonna do the wrong things. But can I tell you this, when you're in the right place with the right people, it's hard to do the wrong things. You want to get out of your way, then stay out of their way. Stay out of where they are. Get with the right people in the right place because when you're in the wrong place with the wrong people, you're going to do things you shouldn't do. How many of you have been on a cruise ship before? You've been on a cruise ship, right? How many of you have been on a diet on a cruise ship? Let me see your hand. Been on a diet? I've tried it, right? I've tried it. I've tried it. I can't tell you how many times I meant to lose, I meant to lose uh, 30 pounds before we got on the cruise ship and I didn't do it. And so we're walking on the game plank and I'm looking at my wife and I say, hey baby, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep trying to eat right on the cruise ship. And she kind of rolled her eyes because she knows what's gonna happen when I get on the cruise ship. And I get on the cruise ship and I'm like, I'm gonna eat healthy. And then every corner I turn, there's a buffet line on every corner I turn. Here's what I tell her. I say, hey baby, I'm gonna watch what I eat this week. And sure enough, I do. I watch it going in with both hands, man, all week long. I mean, there's a chocolate buffet and there's a pizza buffet and there's a hamburger and there's, there's buffets everywhere. And the fact of the matter is, maybe you've done it. I've never been able to do it. Maybe you've done it on a cruise ship. Maybe you've taken a 10-day cruise and you ate bread and water the whole time you're on the cruise. I can't do it. Why? Because every time I turn a corner, somebody's throwing food at me. And I just say, I say, this, this is what my kids say they're going to put on my tombstone. Here's what I say. I'll start my diet tomorrow. Because a cruise ship is the wrong place to try to start a diet. You try to do a, you try to eat 
you try to diet on a cruise ship, can I tell you something? The buffet always wins. Hey, can I tell you something? You can have good intentions in the Christian life, but I'm going to tell you the buffet's going to win. If you get in the wrong place with the wrong people around the wrong things, I'm just telling you, you're going to do the wrong things where you are, where you shouldn't be. You will do things you should not do. Number three, let me show you this. We learned from Samson. Every time you compromise, you get closer to the edge. I'm going to show you how that progresses in a minute, but we know the story. The source of his strength, his godly strength was his hair. And if it was cut, his strength was gone. And Delilah's been paid off by some of her uh, friends to tell them the source of Samson's strength. And by the way, she's been paid off well, lots of money, because they want to capture him and kill him. And so she lays him in her lap and she starts talking sweet nothings to him. Samson, if you love me, you tell me where your strength comes from. I don't think you love me, Samson. All the other girls know why their husbands or boyfriends are so strong and it's embarrassing to me. Down at the nail shop, I don't even know. Why are you so strong? I'll cook your favorite dinner tonight if you'll tell me. So Samson got food on his brain and here's how it started. By the way, Samson should have said, woman, leave me alone. That's between me and God and his mouth. But he, he is far from God at this point. And so he starts off in verse, six, uh, uh, verse number seven. He said, fresh bowstrings that have not been dried. And by the way, the words you see in parentheses are mine. That's just silly. Like, like fresh like bowstrings not been dried. You could break those. Your kids could break those. That's nothing. But here's what I want you to notice. Samson started down the wrong path already. He's talking about it. Right? Well, let me show you now verse 11. Tie me up with new ropes that have never been used. That's a little bit harder. New ropes that have never been used would have been strong, green rope that would have been hard to tie and hard to break out of. And so there's no problem for Samson. Get me. There's no problem for Samson. But we went from the silly to something that could be legit. Well, hold on. Verse 13, weave the seven braids on my head into the fabric on a loom. Now, 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 uh-oh. We went from talking about weeds and rope so now he's in the territory, right? He, we're talking about hair now. And, and, and she's done nagged him a lot at this point. She's done wore him down. And he's saying to himself, well, I'm never going to tell her the thing. But good Lord, let me just tell her something to get her off my back, right? By the way, he should have been out of there. Should have been gone. But he hung out there because he's going to do something wrong. You say, well, what's wrong with this? Let me stop here before I show you the last one. Let me, let me stop here and tell you this. The Christian life is not meant to be lived close to the edge. Let me explain that to you. Let's just say this on the other side right here, this is sin and this is not sin. Sin, not sin. Sin, not sin. You're a sinner, I'm good right here, all right? You're on the wrong side of the line. You're on the side of the line. The Christian life is never meant to be lived right here on the line. As a matter of fact, the Bible, like Paul doesn't say, here's what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, now, don't commit fornication, but let me tell you what to do. Get as close as you can to it, all right? Like, have a good time, live it up. Paul said, just get your foot, like, like yeah, as close as you can, but just don't fornicate, but get as close as you because it'll be fun. Get as close as you can. No, you don't find that anywhere in the Bible. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, run away from fornication. Like if you see it coming, go the other direction. Here's what Paul says. Here's how the whole Bible is written. The whole Bible is written not for you to get up close and hug up and get cozy with sin. By the way, that's what Adam and Eve did and it's cost all of us since then. The Bible is written for us to stay way back here. Way back here. So even if I stumble, 
I'm still a good ways away from sin. And so Samson was supposed to stay way back here. And then in verse 7, he took a step closer. And in verse 11, he took a step closer. And in verse 13, he walked up to the edge. And then in verse 17, he said, if I'm shaved, my strength will leave me. And I'll become weak and like other men. I just wrote, boom. He did it. He did it. Bit by bit, he moved closer to the line until he finally crossed the line. Listen to me. The Christian life is meant to be lived far away from the line. The Christian life is meant to be lived way over here. You say, well, preacher, way over there, you're approved. No, the way over here, you're holy when you live way over here. You're meant to live far, far, far away from the line. That way, if I stumble, but listen, here's what the devil knows. Listen to me. The devil is so smart today. He knows he can't get you to jump over the line with one decision. So you know what the devil tries to do? He just gets you to move in the right direction. I'm not seeing. I know you're, you're back verse 11 right now, Samson. I get it. You're fine. But look what direction you're moving, Samson. I'm not moving close to the Lord, am I? No. I'm getting closer. Here's what Samson said. Well, I'm the strongest man in the world. I can get right here and I'll be fine. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm nervous standing this close to the edge right here by myself on the stage. Samson should have been a nervous wreck. Can I tell you something about the devil? He's in no hurry and all he wants is you moving in the right direction. Hear me? Or the wrong direction. It's the right direction for him but the wrong direction for you. The devil's in no hurry. You see, preacher, there's no way I'd cross the line. No, but what direction are you moving? See, here's what devil knows. Here's what devil knows. If you're here today, and I don't, I don't believe in, you know, drinking alcohol. I think you ought to avoid all of it, stay away from it. And, and, and you're out here, and you're like me, you're a teetotaler, and, and, you, and there's no way. You know, what, you know what's impossible tonight? Can I tell you something that's impossible to happen? Not going to happen, not possible, can't be done. I'm not going to get drunk this afternoon. Not possible. It's too many hoops to jump. But you know what the devil, devil doesn't need me to get drunk this afternoon. You know what he needs me to do? Just walk a little closer. Just get a little closer. He, he's, he, take his time. He's in no hurry. He just wants me moving in that direction. You know what? You love your family. You love your husband. You love your wife. You love your kids, whatever it may be. You're way over here. You're going to church together. You love God. Can I tell you something? If that's you, the devil's not going to get you to have an affair uh, on your spouse tonight. No way. That's not going to happen because you love him too much. Here's all he's trying to to mark work. He's just going to try to get you moving in the right direction. Right direction. Let me just move this way. We're in no hurry. Devil's no hurry. Listen, listen. You walking with God, man, you're walking with God's back here. You're coming to church, reading your Bible, praying you're good. You're not going to be an atheist tomorrow. You're not going to wake up in the morning and say, well, I renounce God and all that's his. No, you know what, devil, he's fine. He'll take his time. He'll just move you this direction. You know what he does? He lays out breadcrumbs all along the way, and we start following those breadcrumbs and eating those bedcrumbs. And eventually he leads those breadcrumbs right up to the line and then spills them over. And every time you compromise... You get closer to the edge. It's exactly what happened with Samson. Every time he gave in, he got closer and closer to the edge. And every time you compromise your standards, you are laying a trap for yourself and getting closer to the edge. Number four, let me show you this. Sin does not shut up. That's in the Bible. I didn't write it, but it says it. She nagged him day after day, after day, after day, after day, after day, after day. 
and pleaded with him, and this is my favorite part, until she wore him out. How many of you, your wife's ever, no, don't raise your hand. That was a joke, it was a trick, it was a trick. See, some of you, some of you were, uh, I saved your life right there, I did, I saved your life. She wore him out. She kept on and she kept on and she kept on and she kept on and she kept on until he gave in. Here's the lesson. Let me hit it move on. Learn this lesson today. Sin does not show up, shut up. Sin does not go away. Sin does not give up. That's why your walk with God is so important because you think you got it whipped. You think you got it beat. And about the time you think you got it beat, it shows back up. And every time you think you're over it, here it comes again. Whatever the enemy is tempting you with, listen, be careful. You'll trip over your own confidence. If you aren't careful, you'll get in your own way because you'll think, well, it's gone, it's gone. Listen to me, sin never shuts up. It's gonna call you and call you and call you from now till Jesus comes. Hey, how many of you have ever gotten a, how many of you ever gotten a robocall on your phone? You ever gotten a robocall on your phone and, you know, they're trying to sell you insurance or that warranty on your car that you sold nine years ago or, uh, or they're trying to get you an extra? My, the ones I get most, you, you showed interest in earning an extra $4,000 a month. I didn't, but they think I did. And it, it, it here's, goes something like this. This is because you may qualify to have your health insurance premium paid 100% by the federal government. The government is going to pay my health insurance premium. Can you believe that? I've, I've hit it. You may qualify to enroll for health insurance. But listen, bad news is it's only people ages 18 to 64. So it's only 89% of America that uh, is qualifies. Do you know why you, how many phones are full of those kind of messages? Let me see your hand. Your phone's full of those? You block those, all, all that stuff? You know why you get call after call after call after call after call after call? You know why? Because they're making millions of dollars. They're spending millions to make millions. You say, well, how are they making millions of dollars? Because here's what they do. They sit there and they call 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 and then somebody answers. And they said, hey, we want to give you an extra $4,000 a month. We want to, the government wants to pay your life insurance. And somebody goes, wow, I knew, I knew I voted the right way in the last election. I knew I did. What do I need? And they say, well, here's all we need. It's real simple. All we need is your first and last name, your mailing address, your social security number, your bank routing number and account number, and then you'll get all the money, million dollars. Prince Yazir is going to put a million dollars in your bank account tomorrow. Well, hold on, let me get my checkbook. And you walk over there and somebody gets it and they give it to them and they make money. And you know how they do it? They make money because they keep calling and 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 they don't stop. And can I tell you, sin does the same thing. It's how the devil wins. He calls and 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 you don't answer and you don't answer and you don't answer. And then he sees you take one step backwards on God and boom, he calls and you ring. Because sin never shuts up. It's always around the corner. That's why you have to walk with God. That's why you have to keep God in the center of your life. That's why you have to not miss church. That's why you have to read your Bible. That's why you have to pray. Why? Because sin will not shut up. It'll nag you till it wears you out. Or you're so close to God, he doesn't want to call. Number five, I'll just mention this. 
Number five, if you fill up at the devil's table, one day you'll wake up empty. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is verse number 20. He finally gave in, told to the source of his strength, and he said, I'll escape as I did before and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. He did not know the Lord had left him. Samson kept filling up his appetites the wrong way. He kept giving in to sin. And then one day, he found himself totally empty. The Lord had left him. And he didn't know it. Church, can I tell you, if you play around with sin long enough, you pray around in the gray long enough, you pray, play around avoiding this Bible long enough, can I tell you what's going to happen one day? You fill up at the devil's table enough, and can I tell you what's going to happen one day? You're going to wake up in the joy. You won't lose your salvation. If you've truly been born again, you can't lose your salvation, but you'll wake up one day and the joy of your salvation will be gone. You'll wake up one day and your love for Jesus will be gone. You'll wake up one day and your walk with God will be gone. You'll wake up one day and your testimony will be ruined. You'll wake up one day and your happiness will be gone. You'll wake up one day and your peace will be gone. You'll wake up one day and your relationship with God will get, uh, be, be gone. And you'll discover that once you got what you wanted, you don't want what you got. And you filled up at the devil's table long enough that you woke up empty one day. Let me show you the sixth thing and I'm finished. And I, I'll be honest, this point grieves me, but you need to hear it. You can always find forgiveness, but things are never the same. You can always find forgiveness, but things are never the same. Verse, I think it's 30, he, he died. Samson somewhat restored his relationship with God. He and God had a talk. God answered his prayer. And Samson somewhat restored his, but, but things are never the same. Listen to me carefully. Don't ever let me discount the amazing grace of God. Don't hear me say that. If you think I said that, I didn't say that. The grace of God is amazing. That's why we read about the grace of God in the Bible. That's why we sing about the amazing grace of God. Listen to me. Forgiveness can always be found at the cross. If you're here today and you're lost without Jesus, there's not one sin you've ever done that'll keep you from being saved. You can be born again. If you're here today and you're a Christian, there's not a sin Jesus won't forgive you from. But listen carefully. Scars still remain. You can go your own way. You can trip over your own bad decisions that you can find forgiveness, but those scars in your life may never go away. I'm not saying they won't. They may never go away. And things will never be the same. I'm not saying that to discourage you today. I'm saying it to warn you. We all have things we wish we could take back. Can I get an amen right there, church? Oh, we do. We do. But forgiveness doesn't mean everything goes back to the way it was before. Scars still remain. We learn it from Sansa's life that he patched his relationship with God back together. But things were never the same. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. It's the last time I'm going to talk about sports for a week or two, but. The Braves lost the National League Division Series, game five. Here's a video of every run St. Louis scored in the first inning. If you don't know the story, 
It's tied 2-2, game five. The winner goes on to NLCS. And, and uh, the Braves gave up 10 runs in the first inning. Now, just to tell you my story, uh, we went to game two, but game five, I was in Denver. And I was flying back on that day. I think it was a Wednesday. I was flying back from Denver. And uh, I'd made it from Denver to Atlanta. And I was in the Atlanta airport. And I was watching it on my phone. So I had my phone out. And I was watching it on DirecTV or something like that on my phone. And I had it out. And, uh, man, bases got loaded. It may have been one to nothing. I don't exactly remember. It's, I, I mean, PTSD. But anyway, I was, I was watching on my phone and they were saying to get on the plane. Like they were saying, you know, last boarding call. And I was trying to hold them off a little bit. And, and, and then the bases are loaded and my wife calls me. And man, I love Sherry. And she called and I had to answer it. I had to answer it because it's her because I love her so much. And I do. And, but it was just bases were loaded. You know, sometimes this stuff going on. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, baby, I love you so much, but the bases are loaded and I got to go. Bye. And that didn't go so well later on. <laughs> I found forgiveness. Things were never the same after that. But uh, um, uh, and so I'm watching it. And by the time I got off the phone call and got back, it was like something like four to nothing or something already. And this mess was going on the whole time. And, and, and by the time I got on the plane and sat down in my seat, it was nine to nothing. And they scored another run, but it's nine to nothing. Lady behind me was a Cardinals fan. And, and I had to put mine on pause. I was about three or four minutes behind, and she said, hey, you probably just want to turn it off. <laughs> no problem. Here, here, Pedro Gomez tweeted out our, fir- our first inning. By the way, they do something called win probability that at the beginning of the game, you know, they give who's most likely to win the game. And it's somewhere usually around 50% for each team, but based on the pitchers, it may be different, but somewhere around 50%. After one half inning, the win probability for St. Louis was 99.1%. Pedro Gomez tweeted out, here, here was, let me, let me, can I tell you this? I want to show you this. We got time. Y'all don't have anything to do tonight, right? Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let me tell you how bad the inning was. We set records, all of them bad. Listen to this. The Cardinals scored 10 runs in the first inning, most runs in a first inning in a major league playoff history. It ties the most runs in any postseason inning with the 1929 A's, 1968 Tigers, 2002 Angels. For the first time, number two in postseason history. This blows my mind. I didn't even know this until I was putting this sermon illustration up. For the first time in postseason history, this is not possible. Every player in the starting lineup scored a run in the first inning. That is statistically impossible. Not for an Atlanta team. There's no depths to our despair in the state of Georgia. Jack Flaherty, the pitcher for the Cardinals, is the first pitcher in postseason history to walk with the bases loaded in the first inning. It's the first time the Braves have allowed 10 runs in the first inning of any game since July 2nd, 1925 against the Brooklyn Robins. The Cardinals were the first team in Major League Baseball postseason history to score 10 runs in any inning without hitting a home run. No, it'd been better if they hit two grand slams. We had to slow, die from a thousand cuts. <laughs> now here, 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 was the, here was the first inning. Walk, bunt, single, single, error, walk, double, walk, walk, double, double, fly out, strike out. But it was a wild pitch and the runner scored anyway and was safe at first. 
We ain't making this up, people. We can lose all kinds of ways in Atlanta. Finally, a grounder to third, 14 batters, 10-0 lead, and half the stadium had not found their seats yet. Walk, bunt, single, single, air, walk, double, walk, walk, double, double, fly out, strike out. Mistake, okay, mistake, mistake, really bad mistake, really bad mistake, mistake, really bad mistake, really bad mistake, 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 stupid mistake, thank God it's over. Can I tell you that was Samson's life? Samson's life was mistake, okay, mistake, mistake, bad mistake, bad mistake, mistake, bad mistake, bad mistake, bad mistake. Why did I preach this sermon? Because we're not careful. That's the brave story. That's Samson's story. If you're not careful, your life will line up just like that. Mistake, mistake, bad mistake, because you can't get out of your own way. Stupid mistake. If you're not careful, your story with it will end with thank God it's over. Because you couldn't get out of your own way. Don't let that be your story. Let his story change your story. There's some of you here today that you've just got God off center in your life and he's not where he needs to be. Today is the day to get it because if you get God off center, I'm telling you, it's going to be mistake, mistake, bad mistake, stupid mistake, bad mistake, bad mistake in every area of your life. And you're going to look back and you say, what happened? Is it the devil's fault? No. Is it the friend's fault? No. No, it's my fault. I couldn't get out of my own way. got God where he shouldn't be. So I'm asking you to stand with me across the building, our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, our staff is coming if you're here today. And you'd like to trust Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, they're here to pray with you. If you wanna join our church, they're here to walk you through that. If you wanna be baptized, they're here to walk you through that. They're standing, Nathan's on my right, Jeremy's on my left, just come take one of those them and say, hey, I wanna join the church, I wanna be baptized, I need to become a Christian. We've had people do that all morning, now's your time to do that, just come take that bold step and do it right now. There are people all around the building, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, there are people all around the building that you just need to find a place and kneel down at the altar and say, Lord, let me get you back in the center of my life. Lord, let me get out of my own way. God, I'm tired of making mistake after mistake after mistake, I want this to be different starting today. That can be your story. Let God rewrite the end of your story. Don't be Samson. And the end of your story is, thank God it's over. No, change it today. Father, draw us with your spirit as your word is spoken to our hearts. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.